All right, so uh, I know you guys had a lot of food on Thursday and Friday, so for that reason, you're probably full, and you don't need to be at lunch on time, so I'm going to hold you probably until at least 10.59. I'm going to preach a while, all right? Everybody good with that? Just kidding, just kidding. Y'all be right there on time. All right, so I want you to think right now, I want to tell you something, but before I tell you something, I want you to think in your head, the worst fast food restaurant ever. The worst one right now. Okay, my name's Ethan Broom, middle school minister here at Alice Drive Baptist Church, and I'm used to speaking to middle schoolers, so I always have them engage, and I always, you know, right now I'd be saying, all right, yell out your worst fast food restaurant. Okay, so the worst one, in my opinion, and it's not really an opinion, it's just facts, Jack in the Box. Everybody even heard of it? Like, I, I don't think there's any in Sumter, but in the upstate there's a ton, and it's so bad. Like in college, you can eat anything. You want anything other than cafeteria food. Me and my boys, we were on a mission. We wanted to try it. We always see it, never tried it. It was the worst. I think I threw out the box, and I didn't even have any money, so I probably needed to keep it for leftover or something, but the box is gone. Um, but some of you probably thought of Burger King in your head for least favorite. Now, those people who thought Burger King is the least favorite, you're probably Clemson fans, so you're not thinking correctly right now. You're a little upset because the truth is, is Burger King is easily top five. I'm talking about them burgers are big, they're nice, they're perfect. Bacon King, their bacon's crispy. Oh, it's just good. Okay, Burger King's one of my favorite. Might be your worst. Typically, my middle scores are like, you're crazy. It's one of the worst. But there's a Burger King in California, right? So this Burger King in California, um, normal day of work. Manager's chilling, workers are chilling, double whoppers flying, chicken fries flying. Everything's going good, okay? Uh, somebody calls, phone rings, manager picks it up. It's someone frantically saying they're from the fire department and there's a methane gas leak in the Burger King. There's a methane gas leak and you, your building's gonna blow up if you don't get some air coming through there. So find a way to get some air going through there. Open the windows, do whatever you can. It's gonna blow. And so the manager's like, throws down the phone, he grabs all his team, he's like, hey, we got to do something. Break open the windows, break open the windows. So they're all grabbing their chairs, you know, anything in Burger King, ketchup packets, who knows, throwing it at the windows, busting the windows out, right? They need to get airflow in the place. And so the manager, there's like a panel of three windows that they can't break open. Somebody drove their Ford right into it, just bounced off, um, broke down. And so the manager hops in his Dodge Ram, he puts it in drive, boom, windows, breaks it open, airflows in the Burger King, Win-win. Managers screaming happy. They're singing the YMCA. Who knows what song they're singing? They're happy. They're excited. And so the manager picks the phone back up. He calls the local fire department, and he says, we did it. Air in the building. We did it. We did it. We did it. And the fire department said, I don't know what you're talking about. That manager of that Burger King cost that Burger King $35,000 in damages and repairs, all because he listened to someone he was told a lie from someone who had no authority. He was told a lie from someone who had no authority. And in the same way, in this room today, some of y'all have been told a lie from someone who had no authority. I'm not sitting here saying I have the authority because I don't, but this does. The Lord does. And what he says in his word, in scripture, has the authority. The Bible is the bottom line. And what I find in my life, despite what the world says, the world says, you can have joy if you do this. And you invest in these worldly things. You do this, you do that. You can have joy. 
And I'm talking about joy, pure joy. You, if you invest this money, if you buy this house, Santee Cooper here, Santee Cooper there, Lake House, Pontoon, uh, whatever, you can buy happiness. If you just do these things, these worldly things, you can have joy, joy. I'm here to tell you today that you've believed a lie from someone who had no authority. And what I find in my life and life of others and in this word, in the Bible, that true joy comes when you surrender to the Lord and give your life to the Lord. True joy, pure joy happens when you surrender, you let go, and you worship God. And so today um, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 2, so turn there. We've been in this series uh, called Let Go. And uh, most of you, probably like me, I came into Thanksgiving. I went into the uh, storage building to find my duck waders, and uh, we got a bunch of garbage and trash piled up in our big garage outdoor shed thing. Um, and I'm like, why do we even have this? Like, what's mom been bidding on on the Amazon website thing? How many bins does she get? Like, what's going on? Awful. I mean, there's trash everywhere. And I'm like, we need to let go of some things. And then I was like, there's middle school trophies in there that I do not care about. MVP. I don't care about that I need to get rid of. I mean, they're collecting dust. So as humans, it's just tough for us to let go of things. It's tough for us. Naturally, we don't want to let go of things. Even worse, you're at Thanksgiving. You got an aunt and uncle. People got beef, right? There's people arguing back and forth in the family. There's some kind of arguments going on in the family, and they ain't wanting to let go. Hard-headed as all get out. Got more beef than Burger King. I'm talking everybody's mad. And you don't want to let go because that's what we do as humans. We don't want to let go. So we've been in the series called Let Go, and we've been following the life of Hannah and what we're told about Hannah in Scripture. She can't have a child, um, and then she's praying, she's praying, she's praying. Remember, she was accused of being drunk because she was whispering this prayer in 1 Samuel. And then the Lord hears her, uh, weighs her hearts and her motives, and is like, okay, I'm going to give you a child. Well, Hannah gives the child back to the Lord. And in this moment, the child is given back to the Lord. Her and Elkanah, her husband, leave the child to be raised up. And she's brokenhearted, but she goes off on her own, and she gives thanks because she let go. So that's the main point. She gave thanks because she let go. She found joy, and we see her joy in this. And what she's doing in this prayer in uh, chapter 2 is she's worshiping and praising the Father and, the, and our God for who he is because he is good. He is worthy of our worship and our praise. And she found joy because she surrendered to God. That's where we're at. That's what we're talking about, giving thanks and letting go. So where do we find that joy? And it's through worship. That's what Hannah does. She worships and she prays God in this prayer, in this song of praise while she's rejoicing. And so what do we do? Well, when we surrender, when we let go, that's what we do. We worship and we find joy in that. So I'm going to break it up. We're going to read it, and I'm going to break it up in five sections. Y'all are probably going to remember me as the preacher with five points by the time I'm out of here. I don't even know if I'll ever get out of here. Five points, okay? Five points. We're going to break up the verses. First uh, Samuel chapter 2. Let's read verse 1. That's the first point. Verse 1, it says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Point number one is let go and worship because your joy is from the Lord. Let go and worship because your joy is from the Lord. If you look here, she goes, my heart exalts in the Lord and my horn is exalted in the Lord. Hannah was praying and she was rejoicing at the same time. 
She knew in her heart, based off the circumstances, based off the things that's happened in this story, that God was good in the past. God was good in her past. Even though she had these feelings, these emotions, God was still good. And he was sovereign. And he was in control. And so in this moment, she's saying, okay, I rejoice. I'm exalting in you because you're good. You were good in my past. I've seen that you've been faithful, God, in my past, in my present, as of this moment, as she's praying with a broken heart and she's worshiping the Father. Her horn is exalted, it says, and she sees in the present how good God is. And then in the future, she knows God is going to be good. Why? Because he never changes. He's the same today, tomorrow, and forevermore. And so, She's saying these things. She's excited. What does that mean to have your horn exalted? Well, that is a sign of having your strength renewed, being helped by God in a time of crisis. So we see that Hannah had joy. She was given strength in a time of crisis. She was helped in a time of need. She has joy. See, defeated people um, keep their mouths shut, and then people that win or experience victory it always exalts. It always happens. Carolina fans on Facebook today are going crazy, right? Last night, right? It always happens. When you experience victory, you're going to shout. You're going to tell. You're going to scream to the top of the mountaintop. You know, that's what she's doing. She's saying, hey, I've experienced his goodness. He has been good to me. He's helped me in this time. I'm shouting it out. And so she's praising him for being delivered from her barrenness. She's praising him, and she finds joy from the Lord. She's worshiping him because of the joy that she's been given from the Lord. And in the same way, I think of this story, my dad's story. Uh, I cried maybe a little bit at the 830 service when telling this, so I'm going to try not to get through it. I'm an emotional guy, but I'll try it. So my dad's story, um, going a little bit uh, deeper into like the joy found into the Lord, uh, I'm going to share a little bit about my dad's testimony, but he was um, an alcoholic. Him and my mom got married, um, and he didn't know the Lord. And he was an alcoholic for a large period uh, of time. And he would go to the store every day. He would get off work, you know, do, do whatever he had to do during that day, but he would drink 24-7. 12-pack of beer, beer here, beer there, alcohol, had him, held him down. And so... He would, he would be in the car, you know, he, as, I, as I, he told me the story last night, he would always have a couple drinks in the car, and sometimes he'd pass out in the car, and my mom had to carry him in. And time and time again, he would tell my mom, I'll stop, I'll stop, I'll stop. Forgive me, forgive me, I'll stop. But he knew deep down that he was going to do it again. And so my mom continued, although her emotions are going every which way, and she heard him apologize and, and swear that he would never do it again, uh, she just continued to be faithful. And they started going to church, and he explained that the only reason he went to church for a large period of his life was because they had a softball team. Um, shameless plug, we have a softball team here. Let me know if you want to play. I am the coach. Um, but he went to church because of a softball team, and he knew he was not a follower of Jesus. And so he, he shared this with me on the phone that my mom and him would lay down beside each other to go to bed, and she would ask him, you know, do you think you're ever going to, you know, give your life to the Lord or ask him these questions about that, or do you think you're ever going to surrender? And he goes, I, I do. I got it all together. I got everything figured out. I'm nice. I'm going to heaven. I'm a good guy. I'm nice to people. I tithe. I got everything in line. And he would just hear my mom start crying. And some things added up, along with my mom's faithfulness and him going to church and hearing preachers say certain things, friends, 
uh, people his age, people younger, older. He heard a lot of these things that built up. And there was this day um, that he gave his life to the Lord in 2003. And he's holding on to the pew. I think in terms, we call that a pew clincher. I don't know the typical Baptist term for that, but we, we also don't have pews here. But uh, pews, he's clenching it, white knuckle. He's holding on tight. And he doesn't want to walk at the closing hymn. He doesn't want to walk to the front and, and show everybody or give his life to the Lord. And so he was a pew clincher. He said his whole life. And so there was this particular day. Um, I talked to him on the phone, and he said, he said this. He said, every time I told mom, uh, her name's Sarah, my mom, every time I told Sarah that I wouldn't drink again, I always wouldn't. I knew it deep down. He said, but for some reason, I felt the same way when I go to church that I think I got it all together. I think I'm good, but deep down, I knew I wasn't. And so that day, he said that the only faith that he had to give, the only faith that he was required to give was to let go. And he let go, and he walked up to the front and gave his life to the Lord that day. All the faith he had to do was let go, and he knew in that moment he was saved forever. And to this day, he will not touch the pew in front of him. <laughs> but all that to say, um, the joy part, uh, I'm, I'm big on like when I meet new people, I always ask them, where does your joy come from? I'm just curious to hear your answer, because probably I'm gonna be able to share the gospel if you tell me your joy comes from like something random, because I'm gonna, lie, I'm gonna tell you that that's not true, that's a lie, let me tell you the truth. Um, and so I always ask where your joy comes from, and if there's one thing you could change in your life, what would it be? That just instantly sparks a deeper conversation. What's one thing you would change in your life? My dad's birthday was last month. He's getting old. Sent him a text. I said, hey, you can't beat me up. I'll beat you up. Love you. Thankful for you. Um, if you could change one thing in your life, what would it be, Dad? And he responded, quote, I wish I would have given my life to the Lord sooner. I often think about what my life would have been like if, it, if I had given it to him before I did. That took me off guard for the rest of the day that day um, because I didn't expect that answer. But what I realized is nothing else in life matters except for your relationship with the Lord. That's where true joy comes from. And my dad gets it. He gets it. He understands that joy, I'm talking about pure joy, joy only from the Lord, the fruits of the Spirit inside our hearts from the Spirit, from God, comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord and nothing else in life compares to it. And my dad understands it so much so that if he could take back anything in his life, he would want to meet Jesus sooner than he did. Worship and give praise to God for the joy that comes from him. Point number two is let go and worship him for his majesty. So verse two and three reads, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. It's important when we pray, uh, one thing I do in my prayers, and I think it's important for us to do when we pray, is that we give praise and glory and honor to the Father right off the bat. And so that's what Hannah does. She's saying, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Instantly, no matter how she, you know she's heartbroken in this moment. No matter how she feels, she goes straight to worshiping the Father. 
I think this is important to note because when we come into church, maybe we don't want to be here for the worship. Maybe we want to be here for the friends, or maybe we want to be here because we have free coffee. I don't know your reasoning in coming today because maybe it might make you feel better that you woke up and you went. But no matter how you feel, when you worship and glorify God here in this seat, it just changes things. And so it makes us focus on worshiping him rather than our need. And so in this moment, when, when Hannah's praying, she's not, no longer focused on her need. She's like, I love you. She's praising and worshiping the Father for his majesty. Think about the Lord's Prayer. We say it all the time. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You're saying, great is your name. So she began by affirming his holiness and uniqueness. So he's holy. He's unique. He's set apart. He's perfect. He's pure. He's good. There's no sin even near that. Like, it, it, he's perfect. He's unique. His character is never changing. You know why? It compares him to a rock. Dwayne the Rock Johnson, you ain't moving that feller. Just kidding. It compares, the rock speaks of the Lord's strength, um, stability, steadfastness. He compares him to a rock because it magnifies the fact that we can depend on him and he is never gonna change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He was the same when Joseph was carried through his trials and tribulations. He was the same when Peter and Paul and Moses, and he's the same for you and I today. He's never gonna change. He is always holy and perfect. I think it's funny, um, right here it says in verse three, talk no more so very proudly, let not arrogance come from your mouth for the Lord is a God of knowledge. Uh, when I was young, I don't know how I remember this, I was like seven years old. Uh, it was probably after like a football game, I don't know, I laid in, we had one of them jacuzzi tubs that were famous in like 2000s. I don't think I've seen one in a really long time, but water was over my ears and I was just chilling, laying on my back in the bathtub. And my dad kind of walks up and he goes, can you hear me? And I said, no. <laughs> Instantly. And about three seconds after I said no, again, I'm young, I was like, I am so dumb. I just responded. That means I heard him. And I put two and two together and I was like, now my dad knows every time I lie to him. Like he saw my face. He knows. He knows when I lie to him now. And so I think that's funny because there's not, no place for pride or arrogance when you stand before a God who knows everything. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He knows all things. He beholds all things. He's there. He knows. And so how arrogant, how prideful is it for you to go, no. He's holy, perfect, and pure. And him being so much so this way, uh, at the end of verse three, it says, uh, by him actions are weighed. And so our Father, God, is a just judge. He is a holy judge. He's perfect, and anything he chooses is pure, perfect, and holy. And so it makes me think of the gospel, and when I share the gospel with people, people will be like, oh, so in order to go to heaven, it requires perfection. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely, it requires perfection. And they're like, well, you're not perfect. And I'm like, well, yeah, people can look at my receding hairline and tell that, but look at you too. You're not perfect either, right? We're not perfect. We never will be perfect, but there is somebody who was perfect, and there it is. There's the gospel right there. It's not us. It's not anything we did. It does require perfection. God does demand perfection, and he gets it through Jesus Christ, the perfect, innocent lamb that was slain. And when I meet and come face to face one day on judgment day, I'm going to go, 
I'm not gonna say any good thing I did. I'm not gonna say that I preached in front of Alice Drive on November 27th that I gave to this, I gave to that. There's none of that because guess what? None of that matters. Even somebody horrible can do that. What matters is the blood of Jesus. And he's gonna say, why do you think you should come in here? I don't know if he'll say that, but let's just say he says it. I'm gonna say because of the blood of Jesus. Because of the blood of Jesus. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is perfect, we're not. Point number two, let go and worship him for his majesty, his uniqueness, his holiness. Point number three is let go and worship him for his grace. Verse four through eight, it says, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes pure and he makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the, pure, the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. So in this, we see that God is holy and just and he's true to his character. Just like we talked about before. He is sovereign and the things he does are merciful and gracious. If you read that four through eight, a hundred times, you can read it a hundred times. When you go home today, you can read it. And you're gonna see in this that guess what? The Lord kills and he brings to life. He brings down, he raises up. He makes poor, he makes rich. He raises up, he raises down. He raises, he raises the, the, the feeble bind on strength. So he's in control. He's the one who gives, he's the one who takes away. And so if you read it took a little bit of time in the last service, so I'm not going to read it. But Luke chapter 1, Mary has this prayer. And so Hannah's prayer, and then you have Mary's prayer in this song of praise, they line up very, very, they're, they're almost identical. It's really neat to read it. And that proves the point that, guess what? He was gracious and merciful to Hannah in the Old Testament. He's gracious and merciful to Mary in the New Testament. And he's gracious and merciful to you. And guess what? Because he's gracious and merciful to you, he's worthy to be praised and worshiped. Point number three is let go and worship him for his grace. When we let go, when we surrender, we experience God's grace and mercy in ways that really are unexplainable at times. Um, he is sovereign. He is in charge of life and death and everything in between. He can do as he pleases. But it reminds me, of this story, so some of y'all heard it last time I spoke, or uh, if you don't know, I worked at a ranch in Colorado, Wind River Ranch. I feel like I've said that 38,000 times since my last sermon, so I don't wanna talk about it too much. I don't know why I'm facing that way. Uh, sermon, uh, ranch, Colorado, Wind River Ranch, okay. So we had Friday mornings, it was called Wrangler Breakfast. It was in this beautiful aspen tree grove area, forget what they call it. Beautiful. The guys would wake up. There was seven or eight of us guys. We'd get up. We'd start the fires, grill. There was this neat little thing. You turn the grill down. It's like a barbecue place. Um, I'm not looking to be hired, anything like that. But we'd put eggs on it, sausage. I mean, Wrangler breakfast was a huge plate that you stacked as much food as possible as you could. And then the uh, uh, hot sauce, I forgot what it's called. You just put it all over it. I mean, best meal ever. You have this meal, and the guests, while the guys prepare the meal, the guests and the wranglers that worked at the ranch, 
uh, would go and take the guests on a ride and up Long's Peak and Estes Park around the mountains, you know, wherever they would go on their three-hour ride as soon as the sunrise happened, they would go and ride the horses. And then they would bring the horses back to the ranch, but they wouldn't go back to the barn. They would pull the aspen grove and tie the horse up to the tree and eat breakfast. A really neat opportunity, really neat place. And the guys, we would take the saddles, take them off the horses, throw them in the back of uh, the truck, and then we would shoo the horses into the pasture and let them run inside the fence. Well, some of the wranglers uh, that were in charge of these rides would leave their saddles and say, don't take my saddle off, I'm going to ride it back to the barn after wrangler breakfast. Okay, cool. Well, sometimes they'd leave two or three. And that's where I would try to uh, swing in there and be like, hey, you know, I did this this week. You think I could ride a horse back? Anytime I could get on a horse, I got on the horse, right? Well, one, this particular day, I didn't get on a horse. I rode the truck back to the barn after wrangling breakfast, and I'm throwing the saddles in their places. And most of the guys um, would really help out the ladies. We had majority ladies wranglers, but the guys would help do that stuff that didn't require thinking. We would just throw it up there. And... Um, I went and I sat on the fence outside the barn, and I don't know if you've ever been to Estes Park, Colorado, but Long's Peak is right there, and there's like this beaver in the mountains, but just beautiful. And so I'm sitting on the fence, and I'm like praying, and I'm looking at the mountains, and I'm just talking to God, and I, I noticed Cowboy Nick, who was the head wrangler, great, great, great guy, most humble guy ever. I love him to death. Um, incredible guy. But he is the head wrangler, and he was a cowboy, um, that didn't follow Jesus at a point in time in his life. And cowboys, as you, you've seen Yellowstone, I know. Um, you've seen it's a little rough, right? Well, Cowboy Nick didn't know Jesus at one point in his life, and he was a cowboy. And he ended up giving his life to the Lord because of his relationship with his horse. And he compared that to what he was reading in Scripture. And so to see Cowboy Nick work a horse and train a horse, it was like the most beautiful thing ever because you knew, he knew there was something special there. And so he pulls up on this horse, I forget the name, big white horse, 18 hands tall, just a big horse. And at the ranch, we had a, a, outside uh, Wrangler Breakfast, the Aspen Grove, it led into this big field with water that made a shape of a Y. And it's this creek that looked like this. And on this side, there was a bridge on this side of the water um, to where people go down to the creek that led into our ponds to fish for the trout there was a bridge that we created so they could keep their feet dry. It was literally like three inches deep, but we wanted them to keep their feet dry. So I saw Cowboy Nick ride the horse up, and I see him, and he's working the horse. He's trying to get the horse to jump over the water. Well, the horse wouldn't jump over the water, so he leads it to this bridge, and he's trying to get it to walk across the bridge. So he's holding it, and he's trying, and the horse is bucking up and, and going back and fighting him, and he's like, just calm as can be. He was just riding it as smooth as can be. I mean, it was such a beautiful picture. I mean, I was watching the whole thing. I'm like, awesome. Well, the horse would like touch the bridge and then jump back like scared, like a human would do if they're trying to jump on a bridge. Like it was super neat to see. Well, eventually the horse goes across the bridge and he stops and he's petting the horse. He's like, good job. I can't hear what he's saying, but you can just tell he's talking to it. And as I was walking back, I was like, man, how you know, identical is that in my relationship with the Lord. That the Lord is in control of my life. He's Lord over me. He has the authority. And, and he tells me to go. He tells me to do this. He tells me to do that. He's gracious. He's merciful. And when I don't want to step across the bridge, he's gracious. He's merciful. He's sovereign. He's in control. And he tells me, and I know I'm going to be okay because I can trust in him, but yet I'm too scared. And there's a cowboy prayer, and it goes along the lines of, is, Lord, you created me, and so you know me better 
then you can have the reins because you do a better job running my life. It goes something along those lines. And so in, in that way, he's sovereign and we humans don't understand. He's gracious, gracious and merciful. Let's give him the reins of our life because we don't know that the water's not that deep. We don't know and we can't trust ourselves, but we can trust in him because he's in control. And that's what Hannah's doing. She's saying, you're worthy. I'm letting go and I'm gonna worship you because of your grace, because of how merciful, because you are sovereign. Let go and worship him for his grace. Point number four, let go and worship him for his protection. Verses eight, nine, and 10 say, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be into pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. God established the world from the very beginning, and he is in control of the world. And it says <clears throat> that he has set the world. And oftentimes we see in this life all the bad things that are happening, that he's not in control, that somebody else is in control. But the truth is, is that he is in control. He is sovereign. He has a plan from the very beginning of time. He had a plan, and he's loving, and we know it's going to work out. But as God's people... It says in verse nine, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones. That means as we walk with him, as we're on this journey, as we walk and let go and surrender our lives to him, he is gonna guide us and guard us on our path with him. There's protection. Let go and worship him for his protection. Point number five, let go and worship him for his rule or reign, rule or reign, same thing. This is the last part of verse 10. It says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. He's, he's in this moment, Hannah's praying this. She's like, I know we're gonna have a king to come to Israel and he's gonna anoint him. But also, isn't it so cool to see uh, Elkanah and Hannah in this moment together as a couple give their baby to the Lord? That's that idea I talked about a couple weeks ago of loving the giver more than you love the gift. They love God and worship and give praise and glory to him, not the baby, because he was the giver of the gift. Worship, honor, glorify, and praise him because he rules. That makes me ask these questions. Are you going to trust God? Are you going to trust him to rule your life? Do you think it was easy for Hannah and Elkanah to leave their kid there and move on? Of course not. They had broken hearts, but they knew that he ruled. They knew and found joy in a holy God who was sovereign, in a holy God who, was, who reigned and ruled the world. So they trusted in him and gave their child to him. If you're a Christian in the room today, maybe you need to let go and give thanks for the joy from the Lord. Praise and worship God for the joy that he's given you in your life. He's given you everything. He's worthy of your worship. He is. Maybe you're a Christian in the room today and you need to just praise him for his majesty, his uniqueness, his holiness, the fact that he requires perfection in order to get into heaven. Because if it was on you or me, it wouldn't be good. But he gave us Jesus. Maybe he's worthy today in your life to be praised because of Jesus. Maybe you need to worship the Father because of the grace and mercy that he's shown you. Limitations 3.23 says, his mercies are new every single morning. So literally, as you woke up from uh, bed this morning, his mercies were new for you. He loves you, and he's gracious, and he's merciful. So worship him for that. 
maybe you're a Christian in the room today and you need to just thank him for the protection that he guides your every step. Maybe you need to worship and praise him for his rule. Because as you give your life to him, as you trust in him, we can look to the cross and know that he is in control. That cross that was meant to kill and be defeat for us, God turned it around. The greatest victory ever. And we can exalt and boast about that. We can praise and worship God for his rule and reign. And if you're a non-Christian in the room, I tell you that story and that you've been told a lie from someone who had no authority. Well, I'm telling you today that the Bible was the bottom line. And what you read in here is not a lie. And Hannah found joy despite her circumstance, the crisis that she was in. She praised and worshiped and honored God and found joy. And you have that offer extended to you today through Jesus. Maybe would you just take a second and think about it? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that as we look into your word and study Hannah's life and her prayer, we can see your goodness, your faithfulness, the joy that you give us, how much you love us and care for us, that you're merciful. God, the list can go on, but you are perfect and holy and unique and set apart from all other things. Lord, help us to realize, everyone in this room and even myself, that the worldly things will not satisfy and will not give us joy like you will in the spirit within our lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we give you all the worship and praise. In your name I pray, amen.